this is where we get the actual conference going um, and introduce Mick Gersten, um, who talk about how to track digital transformation, prioritize product development, and how to set measurable metrics. Please welcome Mick. My name is Dr. Mick Kirsten. I should uh, be forthcoming that I'm actually not a real doctor, but I will be giving you some uh, prescriptions today for some very common uh, DevOps pathologies. So what's happened is uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote this book called Project the Product. And uh, since that time, I've been working with some very large organizations and discovering exactly what Larry said, where the chasm between the sort of desire for DevOps and the promise of DevOps and the reality that a lot of developers, a lot of teams with day-to-day seems to be very wide. And myself and my team of flow advisors have actually uncovered some common patterns that we see in organizations who really want to push towards DevOps, want to move towards getting this kind of business agility, fast flow and feedback and learning, but are running up into some common mistakes. So I'll actually identify some of those for you today, the ones that we found to be most common, most problematic, and the most tricky in terms of actually succeeding in DevOps transformations and succeeding in making your organization more innovative and really in, in bridging this chasm between what the business needs, what the customer needs, and how we deliver technology. So all of this has actually been grounded in over two years of data that we've collected from large organizations, and in some cases, mid-sized organizations, software value streams and product value streams. So it'll build on some of the concepts of the flow framework. I'll introduce those to you today and try to share with you some of the, what to me were the most profound and thought-provoking discoveries that I've had in, in the past couple of years since publishing the book. So uh, the journey for me around DevOps, around you know, spending a decade as a developer, a decade working with Agile, and then getting closer to the DevOps community has really been understanding how value flows, what we deliver, and how we measure that delivery. And it really struck me as I started working several years ago with some of the largest DevOps transformations that one of the core principles of, of flow and feedback, is, which is understanding your constraint. And if we, we even go back two decades, Ken Beck was talking about the theory of constraints in XP. Uh, it tells us that we should always be investing at the constraint. And I realized that so much of what I was seeing was really not about the constraint. So applying these different metrics that were at one point of the value stream or another point of the value stream, but not really understanding these systemic constraints. So whenever I uh, met with an executive, a, a CEO, a CIO who was working with in a large organization, I asked them or her, uh, well, given that you're investing so much in this transformation, what is your bottleneck? Where's your main constraint? And what, what really surprised me, by the way, this is before I wrote the book, and I, I've kept asking this question, but what really surprised me is I, I never got a common answer. There's never a really a systemic understanding of what the constraint was in delivering value to the customer. And I thought this was very problematic because it made me realize that as technologists, we, you know, we tend to understand constraints. If, if we're having a lot of trouble uh, having our changes approved or having trouble deploying software in a safe or reliable way, we feel that as a constraint. But why was it that when we started to look across different development teams, these constraints were not well understood? Why was it that no one, no, no one in the C-suite that I talked to could consistently answer the question of where is the bottleneck? And so I just started realizing that so much of the perspective that we've had around Agile, around DevOps, has been very narrowly focused. If we look at the end-to-end -end value stream of what it takes to deliver value to a customer, so often we're only looking at a small slice of it. And I realized that a lot of the work that myself and my colleagues were doing, uh, things like that, the, uh, Larry mentioned the state of DevOps report, identified some very common problems such as organizations that were not able to de deploy software frequently probably had a constraint somewhere in the delivery pipeline. 
But what was happening is I was seeing executives who were very excited about applying the, uh, DevOps saying, okay, our number one goal, the only goal that we have is, is to increase how many times we deploy per day, which to me sounded profoundly wrong because in the end, uh, your goal should be around delivering value, around making your, your developers' lives easier, your team's life easier, your delivering more value to your customers, not really around counting how many times you deploy per day. It's really about excelling that feedback and learning loop. So I realized we don't really have a consistent way that was being applied in large transformations of measuring, of measuring value. So I, uh, I started writing more about this. Um, myself and Nicole Forsgren, one of the authors of Accelerate, who worked on the DevOps metrics, uh, put our thoughts together in this paper in ACMQ and realized, okay, we really need to up our game in how we measure DevOps, how we measure agility, how we measure a transformation from a software perspective. And the, the set of metrics that we have are, are really insufficient or not sufficiently applied. And if we misapply the wrong metrics, we can really mislead our, our organizations and our transformations. And that's exactly what I saw happening over and over and over again, that these proxy metrics that didn't speak about value, they you know, they were speaking only about a single, a single part of the value stream, how quickly it took to close user story, or how frequently we could deploy software, were really not a proper measure of value. So with that, um, I started really asking myself the question, as I examined with my team, uh, over 308 organizations' value streams. I started asking, what, what actually flows in software delivery? If we were to sort of imagine and envision that this, uh, DevOps and the process of delivering software as an assembly line, and by the way, it's not an assembly line, it's a creative process, it's, it's more like a network, it turns out, as I learned throughout this, but what would be envisioned flowing uh, along this network, this, this value stream network of delivering software by, by you know, building great things and shipping them to our customers in a reliable and safe way? And this is really what the flow framework came from, uh, what came from, is analyzing those value streams and then recently applying them. And the flow framework, I'll just introduce it really quickly. You can learn on, more on flowframework.org. But it says there are really four units of value. If we think of, of value being pulled by the customer and the value being pulled along these product value streams, and those are features, that's net new business value that we provide to our customers. Defects, that's, those are the quality improvements that we make. Uh, for our customers, risks, that's how we make our software safer, and then debts, that's things like improvements in technical debt, uh, and those are actually you know, pulled as part of the architecture activities that we do. So these are the four flow items in the flow framework, and the flow framework really challenges us, us to think, to, to layer over those DevOps practices, the agile practices, the very rich taxonomies that we have in agile tools of all the different work item and issue types, and to, to really take the customers and the business's perspective, to say, at, at, at this higher level, at this level that we're both the business side and the technology side can have the same language, we can all agree that this is how we deliver value, by delighting our customers with new features, by having software that's, that's higher quality, making sure that software is, is safe and secure and respects privacy, and making sure that we're actually invest, as, as we try to bring that software to market uh, more and more quickly, we're actually paying down the debts that we incur by, by taking all the shortcuts that we do as, when we build it. And so in the flow framework, these four flow items are mutually exclusive and comprehensively exhaustive. And, and they describe, which, by the way, that just means that if you do more of one, you're doing less of another. If you really have a big feature push, you're going to incur more technical debt. You'll do fewer risks. If you're doing a lot of compliance work, guess what? You'll do fewer features. And so the whole goal is to actually expose the dynamics in software of, of software delivery at scale by measuring the flow of these four flow items, measuring it all end to end, and making sure that the business and the technology side have the same way of expressing these things, that things like technical debt are no longer hidden from the business, and that they're actually work on technical debt is celebrated uh, rather than being done, done on weekends. 
So the whole goal here and the whole goal of, of the flow framework when I describe the project to product is to give us a way of measuring this. And again, give us a common language to, to bridge that chasm that we just heard about uh, by providing these flow metrics. So the same way that we might we have metrics to understand our, our vital signals in our body, these flow metrics, these, these, these four simple metrics and flow distribution, which is actually the distribution of those four flow items, can actually have us understand how value flows through our software value streams, how well we're doing in applying the principles of business agility and of DevOps. So I'll qu quickly go over these, these four flow metrics and then show you some examples of some, some case studies, some patients uh, who exhibited some interesting pathologies around the, the, this, this chasm in applying DevOps. So the first one is flow velocity. And remember, these, all, each of these flow metrics are all end-to-end. -end. They're not how long one silo, one team, uh, one set of individuals did the work. This is all the flow metrics are from the customers, from the business's point of view. So flow velocity is the number of items completed over a period of time. That period of time can be a sprint, a release, a year. Flow efficiency is a really key one. Flow efficiency is this bottleneck detector because for each of those flow items, it examines how much it was how much, uh, what proportion of time it spent actively being worked on versus waiting. We know that wait states are the kiss of death in, in productivity and efficiency. But what frustrates us day to day as developers, and flow efficiency actually tells us for this value stream, uh, how much, how much uh, were, were these items being actively worked on versus waiting? There's flow time. Flow time is the end-to-end -end time from work, when work entered the value stream to when it was completed and when it was running, when you had running software. And flow time, again, is the customer's, the business's perspective. And it's simply the, the wall clock time. And one of the most amazing things that we see is the, the ratio of time spent in development to the ratio of the end-to-end -end time is, is completely skewed. It might take a dev team only two weeks to com complete some work, but take another six weeks for that work to actually pass through security and other, and other reviews. So that's flow time. The flow framework only measures it end-to-end. -end. Um, and then finally, there's flow load. So flow load is a work-in-progress metric. Um, it's, it's, your, it, it's your WIP metric. And it really tells you how much work has been put into a value stream. Keep in mind, these value streams, the whole goal here is, again, to give business and technology the same language at a higher level. So this is the value streams are a team of teams level construct. So you're really measuring the flow across multiple teams that are creating value for a portion of your, of your software portfolio that, that some customer is consuming, internal or external customer. And so your flow load is actually telling you how much work has been pushed on to those teams delivering that value. And then finally, we have flow distribution. And flow distribution is simply the ratio of the different flow items. For this particular release, for this particular sprint, how much debt work did we do versus how much feature work did we do? Because of course, we're always trying to do more and more feature work for our customers, but we have to balance these because we have a complex dynamic system that we need to understand. And again, these flow metrics are a simple way of understanding that for the entire organization, not just for the technologists. So uh, the flow framework, I'm actually not gonna cover all of it, uh, we're going to focus in on how these flow metrics work. These flow metrics, of course, have to be connected up into the top right of the flow framework into business resu results, such as value, cost, quality, and, and the happiness of your teams. Uh, and the way that we actually implement this is by layering over your existing tool chain, right? All of this data, all of this flow, all this information, it's simply there in your agile tools and your project, your product management tools, your service desks, and the like. So now, with just this really brief overview, I'm actually going to show you some specific cases of common pitfalls falls that we've seen in, in applying DevOps. So the first uh, and 
sadly, the most common one that we see uh, is the technical debt death spiral. This is something we've encountered frequently in many organizations. And let me show you one patient uh, case and and charts right here. So this patient, in this case that we're examining, is a financial services company. And the interesting thing is that this organization has actually had a successful agile rollout. So they're actually doing uh, agile practices, and they they have a very mature continuous integration and, and continuous delivery pipeline. So they've a lot of DevOps automation. However, uh, those executives who are very excited about the promise of DevOps have not quite seen the value that they expected to see. So I was working closely with a CIO who was complaining that feature delivery to his business partners still seemed painfully slow, and that the business as a whole was concerned about a lack of innovation. So what we're able to do is, using the lens of these flow metrics, actually look at the data of this value stream. So what we did is we examined, uh, in this case, it's their core banking application and some of the applications and platform, I should say, and some of the applications built on top of that, the mobile and web applications where they really want, you know, care deeply about providing innovation to the customers, especially given that the financial technology space has, has so many startups and so much disruption happening here. So if we actually look at the charts of their flow, and again, this is just using the lens of, of those flow metrics that you can apply to your own organization, uh, you don't have to understand all these charts. These are, these are just uh, the ones that we get from our, from our tool. But what you see over here is that we've got the flow distribution chart where we see the distribution of those features, defects, risks, and debts is showing something really interesting with this patient, which we see in, in quite a few organizations, where there's just not enough green, right? Green is the, green is the features. It's that net new business value. Uh, and we see some, some yellow. Yellow in the task of this tool is just, those are, that's risk work. So the good thing is risk work is visible. Oftentimes, when we examine value streams, risk work is not visible because it's not been as prominent in the agile tools that we use today. This organization is actually doing a good job on tracking that risk work the privacy, security, compliance, and so on. However, there's no purple. And purple uh, in this coloring scheme is the tech debt work. So that's a real problem. Because if we don't see technical debt work being done across these teams, this is multiple agile teams and feature teams doing this work, it means that technical debt work is, is not being prioritized. It's not being valued by the organization. It's not visible. The whole goal, of course, around managing your value streams is making all that work visible so that you know where to apply um, where to apply uh, your resources, where to apply your efforts. Now, if we look a little bit closer, there's another even deeper problem over here. So if we look at the flow load, so this is the whip chart. We see we see something really disconcerting. And I was, again, looking at this with the, with the CIO in this kind of virtual Gemba walk over the value streams. And what we see here is that we've got the, the dark green is the current load that the teams are working on. And this now we've just zoomed into features, by the way. So they're doing a whole lot of feature work. But what's even worse over here is that the light green that we see is actually all the backlogs. And the backlogs are growing and growing and growing. And if we look at the flow velocity of this team, they have no hope of taking down the backlogs, given how quickly these backlogs are growing. And this is, of course, a real problem because the teams are frustrated. The business side is frustrated. The executives championing the transformation. Uh, and the DevOps initiatives are frustrated that they're not getting enough, enough value in time. And yet more, work, more and more work is being pushed onto the teams. And so this is that kind of unsustainable state that we see so many transformations get into, where there's a lot of promise. There's a lot of desire for things to improve. But for some reason, things are not moving any faster. Now, I should mention uh, the gate that work in progress, this, this too high a flow load, is something that we see in almost all large organizations. Too much work has been put on the teams and simply reducing the flow load, 
simply reducing how much work is being done will actually increase flow velocity. It'll allow the teams to deliver more. It'll help have them thrash less. But in this case, let's dig a little bit deeper and look at what's really going on in this particular value stream. So what we see here, if we actually analyze the load, we say, okay, well, well let, let's look at the flow efficiency. Where is work really being stuck? Uh, and what we see in the load, and this is a bit of an eye chart, but there's something, if you squint hard, uh, you see actually that there's something here in Jira and there's some project in Jira called Core Backend Services. And this thing has over 73 user stories stuck in it. So Core Backend Services turns out is this painful legacy component that the teams who work on it have been complaining about for ages, but that was never quite visible. And when we started having these discussions, we saw this data saying, look, everything is getting stuck on core backend services. What's going on here? The teams are saying, well, you know, we, we keep moving contractors in and out of it. All of the talent we're putting onto the mobile and the web applications, and yet everything's being stuck on core backend services. And so what's so clear from this data, from analyzing the flow, is that the bottleneck is core backend services. And you should not add a single developer to the mobile application, to the, web, uh, to the web applications, until you actually fix the bottleneck and quarterback and service and start adding the APIs that those teams need. And so just such a common thing that we see is that the software architecture and the investment that's being done is actually not properly aligned to the value streams and investments going into the wrong places. So once you actually look at this and systematically, and this is exactly what happened, finally, the data was there, the executive sponsored uh, the Slay the Monolith initiative, which, by the way, the, the team who works on core backend services wanted to see for over two years. Right? They wanted to break this thing apart into microservices, but never really had the organizational support to do that. So finally, again, using the data, it was very, all of a sudden, easy to cross that chasm between sort of the promise of DevOps and how to deliver on it. And how to deliver on this, in this case, was a need to invest in actually the platform components, not, not the business and customer-facing components over here. So what we learned from, from this is that you know, when you've got these kinds of pathologies like the tech that death spiral, you have these interesting symptoms, right? We, see, we can actually see these flow symptoms and we see them repeatedly in different organizations. We see that flow time was increasing, that flow velocity was decreasing, and actually the flow distribution of def defects was going up as well. Uh, the business symptoms, those are the flow symptoms that we see in the value streams. The business symptoms are that time to market is too low, the cost of delay of getting these features out is growing, growing, and team happiness. The flow framework, one of its metri main metrics is, is actually the, the happiness of the people working in the value stream, it's decreasing. Uh, the mistreatments are just more unsustainable work, telling the teams, look, you should be able to fix these problems while taking down the backlog, while delivering those features. And that that's just, that just doesn't work. The, the data shows that doesn't work. Um, adding developer headcount to the business applications, again, complete anti-pattern in this case, because that's not where the const constraint is. And putting the lowest talent to the back end, again, completely, completely unproductive, even though that's what the organization was doing with the best of intentions. So the treatment plan here, of course, is first make all technical debt work visible. Celebrate it. When you're actually adding those APIs, when you're moving off that legacy system, celebrate that. Allow the teams to plan for it and make the business understand the value of that delivery, and then it will increase feature flow. To do that, we actually need to measure the benefit of tech debt because, of course, it's not visible. That work is not, the benefit's not visible to the customer or to the executives, right? But actually, by, by showing that we're reducing our flow time, so time to value, time to market, by investing in tech debt, all of a sudden the benefit of tech debt does become visible to the organization. And of course, in this case, uh, this particular organization had to put more of the talent onto the platform and onto the back end to actually make those kinds of improvements, which they finally did. Now, it's important that we actually create this 
constructive feedback loop of visibility of improvement, because in the end, DevOps is about flow feedback and learning. And so we actually need to sort of in institutionalize this, not only the review of the features that we've delivered, but the review of how we've improved the flow, how we've made the day-to-day the, the -day -day work of, of our teams better. And so the way that to do that is to actually measure a continuous flow time improvement. It's possible to, to cut flow time in half in many organizations just over the course of months. Uh, once you're, you're focusing on this and fixing those technical debt issues, you'll actually see fewer defects. And we can actually measure the increase in happiness across teams as we've done with our customers, right? When you move these impediments out of the way, teams are happier because they're delivering more value. They have fewer frustrations and fewer points of friction. So uh, the next... Uh, the next study I'll go through quickly, and this patient is, is actually showing the results of neglected WIP. So we saw this technical death, death spiral. We saw that neglected work in progress was one of the problems. But here we're going to take a closer look of, of what that actually looks like. This patient is a healthcare company. Uh, they've been rolling out the scaled agile framework. And the interesting thing about them is that they actually have been putting a lot of emphasis on technical debt. Uh, however, there's still this ailment that IT can't keep up with the business. The IT teams are moving too slowly. So let's take a look at this patient's charts. And we see something quite interesting here. First of all, there's a bunch of purple. So in this value stream, so this set of teams actually is championing tech debt. This is always great to see. However, uh, we see another problem here, which is when we look at the velocity and the load, there's just a big mismatch. If we use, and we can actually you know, get down to the details here, but you can actually use Little's Law and queuing theory to realize that there is no hope for this team to ever take down their backlog and to do this tech debt work, right? Because what's happened, of course, is this team's been asked to improve their work. Uh, and in the meantime, th all the work that was on the backlog has not been removed, right? So none of that pressure was, and this, is, this happens frequently, unfortunately, in transformations where the teams are asked to improve their work practices, to apply a lot of the great learnings you'll get from this conference, but none of the pressure of the feature delivery, the requirements that need to be delivered, the, the customer deadlines that need to be delivered is actually removed. And when that happens, when you're told to, you're going to now remove all this tech debt work, but you don't have the capacity, additional capacity to actually do it, load goes up and up and up. And we're seeing this everywhere. And this is an unfortunate symptom of these transformations is that the teams are being asked to do too much at once. When that happens, uh, work slows down even further. Flow efficiency starts tanking. So flow efficiency is how efficient you get that work out. And we've seen flow efficiencies of 2 3 5% in teams that are transforming at the same time they're trying to deliver. And this is very frustrating, of course, to the entire organization, to the teams, to the business, to the executives. So... The key thing here is that the flow load must be brought under control. Once you bring flow load under control, you will get more done. And it's just a question of what the priorities are, how much feature work versus how much tech debt work, what the priority of this is, what the priority of the next release is. So in terms of these symptoms, when we see this kind of too high a flow load, which again is, is just extremely common, unfortunately, across the entire industry, flow load is just increasing, flow efficiency is dropping, and the business symptoms are severe because feature work starts waiting indefinitely. You start losing credibility with customers, fr frustrating business partners. Uh, and then there's this other big problem, which is uh, because of this, unplanned work is chronically fast-tracked. So that feature needs to make it, something needs to make it into release, scopes, frequent scope changes, then exacerbate even further the flow load on the teams, making things even more difficult. The mistreatments are to push even more work to teams and to suggest that, you know, that the dev teams get better multitasking and those kinds of things, which simply don't work here. The, this is too high a flow load means you get less out, not more out. 
Um, the treatment plan is to stop starting, start finishing. Allow the teams to finish their work before you take on the next initiative. Stop changing scope frequently. And again, give that room for improvement. Capacity will increase if you do that. Um, of course, enforcing some kind of whip limits or pull model can be extremely helpful here. The key thing is to find that bottleneck and to add capacity to the most under-resourced constraint. Uh, the checkups on this are, of course, always looking for improved flow velocity. Once you're doing the right things here, you'll actually start seeing more capacity. And over time, when you see more capacity, you'll actually be able to increase the flow load. The team will be able to actually productively take on more work. You'll see improved flow efficiency. And of course, the better predictability in releases and fewer scope changes, which in the end makes everyone happy. All right. And I'll just quickly um, run through one last uh, of these flow diagnostics. And this is a, just an interesting one that we're seeing really frequently as well. And this goes back to, to how we actually measure and what this chasm is, because the fact that technical teams and business teams and customers see things slightly differently, the goal of the flow framework and the flow metrics is to give us one way of measuring that actually makes sense for, for all of these different stakeholders. So this patient is a healthcare insurance company, uh, very much for agile deployment. They've actually shifted from project to product, which is great to see, but still this aim on the dev does not seem to be moving fast enough. And the, the business results are too slow to show up. So when we look at this patient's charts, uh, we see something really interesting. And by the way, each of these, I was actually, you know, this, this was done with myself and the executive teams and the tech technology teams. So this was just a, a super interesting experience for me because we're seeing over a thousand things in the flow load chart, right? So there's a whole lot of stuff that's in progress here and it's mostly features. So th this looked a little odd when I was first looking at it. I was like, really, are you really working on a thousand things concurrently in this value stream? Um, and if we then, analyze the load again, what we see is, is something really odd. It looks like all of these things say that they're, they're done, but they're, but they're not done. And so if we actually dig in to how flow has been modeled here, because it's really important to model flow across all your tools to get your customer's perspective, what we see is that uh, all this work is, that's being called done is actually in a wait state. So what's happened is that the dev teams are saying that the work is waiting, the, dev the work is actually done, but none of it's been shipped to the customer. So once you actually simply change this, once you take the customer's perspective, on what done means, instead of the team's perspective of what done means, change the mapping, we did it live when we were doing the meeting, you get a completely different picture. So there's only actually 260 things that are active. The dev team's been completely done with those features and they were all stuck on operations, right? So the dev team was calling things done, the operations teams had, you know, there was doing, they were doing additional security review, additional deployment testing and integration testing and those kinds of things. And, and so the customer was not seeing the results because there was this massive bottleneck. So really this is just the case for DevOps, right? You need to take the customer's perspective on what's being done, uh, not one team's perspective on what's being done. And actually, the, the, the big challenge here was because this was not visible, it looked like the dev, the dev team was actually being blamed for it. But really, this was, this was just simply a lack of DevOps. Uh, and fixing that and making sure that you model your value streams from your customer's perspective is critical to actually getting the right kind of visibility and knowing where that, where that effort needs to go. This flow diagnostic, it's, you know, we're seeing all this effort, but things are not improving from the customer's point of view. There's a perceived lack of innovations. The bottlenecks are not visible. Um, and of course, the mistreatment is to keep optimizing around silos. What you really want to do is you need to shift to that customer focus. You need to identify all those handoffs. Um, and then, of course, you need to include all the cross-silo handoffs to have that whole picture of your value stream so that you know where to place that effort. Again, hiring more developers or blaming the dev team there, 
would have been completely counterproductive. There's just more automation and more investment in the CI/CD pipeline that was needed on this front. And again, once you do this properly, you get the right view of what of the data flowing through your value streams. Flow times should get dramatically reduced once you automate those handoffs, once you invest further in your DevOps strategy. And of course, customers are seeing those results so much more quickly once you do this. So uh, just to start wrapping up quickly, the whole goal here, of course, is that for our entire organization, all of this is visible. It's as visible as you know on your Google Maps, seeing where your traffic jam jams are. Where in that last organization, of course, theirs was in the CI/CD pipeline. In other times, it's from too much load because you know, simply there's been too much work to put on teams. And there's a whole series of pathologies that we're, we're documenting further uh, that you can access for from FlowFramework.org. Um, the you know the the really the, the whole point here is that we actually we need a way to measure the way that we deliver the way we our teams deliver the way we do our agile and DevOps practices that that's bigger than just any single team the way we really take that customer's perspective and we measure from outside the system than, rather than measuring within any system uh, and of course that 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 principle comes from Deming. Um, the key thing is that there's complex dynamics here as well. We need to actually understand what's happening with value streams and try and experiment and create changes and see if those changes produce results rather than saying, okay, well, we need to spend 30% on tech debt reduction across all our value streams. Well, do we? Let's try to reduce tech debt over here and see if our flow time improves. Or maybe the hypothesis is wrong. And maybe we need to apply there's the constraints actually somewhere else. And that's the whole point of making these dynamics visible so that the teams, the organization can make these decisions. Uh, and of course, the other key thing, and this is really back to Ori's point of, of bridging that chasm, is we need to basically start measuring things in terms of outcomes and results, not activities, right? If we're investing in things like tech debt, we need to say, okay, that's going to improve our flow velocity or reduce our flow time, our time to market, because that in the end will help the organization champion these initiatives that as technologists realize are important. It actually changes the language to be the language of the business. So uh, I'll wrap up for now, and we've got some time for questions. Uh, you can learn more about the Flow Framework uh, and about TaskTap at the TaskTap booth. And uh, you can actually uh, look like you can win a Nintendo Switch as well. And uh, you can get the book on uh, from project to project.org, see flowframework.org as well for more materials. We've got a lot of free materials out there to help you understand how to apply and really think about these concepts of flow. I've got a podcast every couple of weeks where I'm talking to leaders applying these concepts of product value streams and flow. And then you can learn more on, ta on our website, tastop.com as well. So I will uh, pause there and take some questions. Thank you so much, Mick. Now is your golden opportunity to ask questions from Mick. And the way we're going to do this is you type into the chat box. And as I mentioned, one of my favorite parts of this conference has always been the active audience. And we are not disappointed because there is a ton of questions for you to answer. Uh, but since we're a little bit greedy, I'm going to let Lapa ask the first question <laughs> to get us going. Yeah, Mick, I was uh, equating with your background uh, from the Eclipse Smiling Project and the task focus interfaces. And um, I, I was curious as to how do you see that approach from an individual developer then lining up with the business objectives? So how, how does they support each other looking at task orientation versus big picture? Yeah, Laurie, it was for me that all, this, this entire journey started as a developer, right? It started as, when I realized uh, 
when I was making developer tools like Eclipse Milan, like some some programming languages, uh, that basically the more connected that I was to the value stream. So when I knew exactly the basically exactly all of the context of this particular uh, defect issue that came in and so on, and when all of the conversation was connected, and I, I saw my slice of the value stream connected to everyone else, I felt like my productivity was ten times higher. Than, than when I had all these manual handoffs between all these steps in the value stream. So I started realizing, okay, we need to, I started, because my background's in software architecture and, and programming languages, I started thinking, well, we need just the same way that we have of formalizing how we think about the code and of our type hierarchies and our call and functions and so on. Uh, we need a way, a formal way to think about value streams. Right? Because we understand what our architecture constraints are. We understand when a microservice gets flooded with too many messages and so on. We need the same kind of thinking to apply to our value streams, to how we actually deliver value all the way from work coming in, be that an incident or a feature request or something, all the way to get into their customer. So, so yeah, for me, it, it starts a personal journey. But then I realized, OK, well, this, this really uh, applies to at a team level as well. And then what became really interesting to me is, is it really applies at the, at the whole organization level, right? At, at, that, at that team of team level, uh, where if we can actually find these systemic bottlenecks and, and have these simple metrics to reason about where those constraints are, well, we can apply some architectural thinking to our, the entire flow of value in our organization. So yeah, it, it absolutely uh, it came from that journey long, long ago. So. As someone who has a history all the way back to the Xerox Park, and you uh, reference concepts like the mythical man month and so forth, how much do you think history is repeating itself? How much is there things that are unique to our times and our uh, sort of software culture? And how much is it uh, all something that we've seen before? Yeah, so the, there is a fair amount. Of, the, the Mythical Man Month, I mean, I basically just retold the story of the Mythical Man Month in one of those flow diagnostics, right? Uh, and, and that was one of the first, it's sitting right here, that was one of the, the, the first books that, that I read that, I, that, that really, you know, was shocking to me, right? But the interesting thing is that over the, these past two years, I've been as surprised multiple times as I was by the Mythical Man Month, right? I had no idea when I wrote Project to Product that I knew flow load was important and that WIP was important and that Donald Reinertsen, the author of Product Development Flow, you know, explained all of that conceptually and theoretically. I had no idea that basically, you know, nine out of 10 of the organizations I would work with would have had massive flow load problems, have had massive WIP problems. So I think what's happened is the, con the history, history is, you know, it's, it's rhyming, right? It often doesn't repeat, but it, but it does rhyme. Right. Uh, but what organizations are dealing with right now is just so much more complexity, right? That, that System 360 mythical man with was complex. What most of you will come back to after this great conference is going to be so much worse <laughs> than what Fred Brooks was dealing with with mythical man month. So, so we need to take these concepts and, and really think about them systemically and just understand that, you know, we have a lot of legacy. We have very complex tech stacks. So as, as an entire organization, we need to know how to tackle that. And if we have a platform problem, we need to understand that that's what's impeding our flow and stop pretending that we'll just keep working on the front ends without solving the platform problems. So I think for those of you who are familiar with those concepts, yeah, I, I would just you know go back and read those books. All of those things make sense. But we're now dealing with it in, in, in such large complexity. We need a, a really systematic way to measure this. And again, back to your point at the start, one that makes sense not just for the technologists, who, but, but also for the executives. 
While Lapa will pull up uh, a question from the audience, uh, I wanted to mention Jacqueline de Godi's, uh, sorry for butchering the name, uh, question where she asks a very specific question from you, and, and she's um, told to uh, go to the expo later on, and that's a wonderful uh, way uh, for the audience also to uh, keep engaging with these topics. And the second most asked question over here is about the book, and you all already got the name, Project yeah. to Product. Uh, so, Lava, any yeah. questions from the audience you want to pick uh, up? I, I did, uh, but I also want to start with a comment. Mm. Because we know that we have a lot of uh, people in the audience who are utter fans of Martin Fowler. I want just to point out that open during the first speech, Martin Fowler's talk of making architecture matter <laughs> was already mentioned. So, the, the game is open there. Um, but the, there were two questions. One is, is probably a, a meta question, but the one is a real question. The first one is, how do you measure happiness for the team? And then the second question, and probably we don't need to dwell in too deep to that, is how do we measure overhead of the measuring itself and find a good balance of what and how much to measure? Yeah, I mean, those are both great questions. So the, the parts I didn't cover as much today, the top right parts of the flow framework, uh, we've got the value, the cost, the happiness, what the flow framework says is you just have to have those metrics. You choose how you measure them. So the way that we measure happiness at TaskTop is with quarterly employee net promoter score surveys. So how happy our employees are through that one metric. There are other employee engagement metrics that you can measure, but the key thing is that you measure them so that you actually see, again, the dynamic system, right? You see, well, when we fit, when we invested in DevOps automation and we actually, when we created our team of SREs, all of a sudden our developer engagement went way up. Right. But the key thing about this is what the flow framework says is measure it for the for the value stream itself. Right. Because it's not just about developers. It's about the developers and the testers and the support staff and so on. And what we want to see is when we invested in removing some impediments over here, when we when we made security review easier, uh, we should see the happiness of the entire value stream go up. Whereas where we have an architecture problem on this other value stream, uh, we might actually have declining happiness and developers quitting. We've actually seen that that the frustration that you end up, and it's, again, not just developers, it's architects, it's product managers as well. The frustrations you get from overly tangled architectures actually cause people to leave companies. So the key thing is figure out a way that's right for your organization to measure happiness and make it one of those metrics because as you'll see, as you improve flow, the happiness of the people working on that value stream increase as well, which then of course gets everyone more motivated to, to keep investing in those things that, that make the staff happier because happy staff de deliver you know, much better things to, to customers so, and make for healthy organizations. So yeah, that's the key thing. Now the, the overhead question, that's a really interesting one. I think it's just about minimizing overhead. Let the teams work the way they work. Right. In the end, I think that the measurement layer has to be above the team's work. You don't want to make people use you know, their agile tool in a completely different way tomorrow. That, that's too much work. That's too much overhead. So basically, allow the teams to work the way they work today for their specific functions. You know, the, the, the support desk, they need their SLAs. That won't change. Right. Uh, the S, S, site reliability engineers, the SREs, they, they probably need to work more in a Kanban flow rather than a very strict Scrum flow. Um, so let the teams work the way they work and then kind of measure the flow across the teams is the key thing. So don't alter things because, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty profound question is that, that that also incurs more overhead and more frustration to the teams. So. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mick.